Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everybody. Uh, hi. This is another one of our John Baker Day talks. Uh, we are here to break down a conversation we had a couple weeks ago with Doug Glanville. Hi, my name is Danny Rocket. Uh, right next to me is uh, well, it looks all weird. I'm gonna I'm gonna Hold move on. everybody around. Hey. Yeah, here, there we go. That, that's that's uh, a the, the algorithm keeps putting us that way. Yeah, I don't know why. We that, hate the algorithm. That's weird too. Right, let's we're gonna move no. together. Right. I, that's, that's my favorite. You know, <laughs> you guys, this is not the Brady Bunch. It's, I was just gonna say. Yeah. So this is the story. So anyway, uh, hi, my name is Danny Rocket. We're here to talk about a conversation that we had a couple weeks ago with Doug Glanville, an uh, ex-Chicago Cubs player and also an analyst on the Marquee Network. And uh, with me today, uh, it's right to my left is uh, Sarah Sanchez from Bleed Cup of B- Cubby Blue, Cup of Cubby Blue. Uh, just above me is Andy Cruz Vanisek, <laughs> uh, also uh, from Cup of Cubby Blue. And from the Sun Ranto Show, and we have Michael Cotton and Crawley, also from Crawley's Clubhouse. And soon we'll have Levante Stewart, who's going to be along from Lost Boys, Inc., who is who we are raising money for this year. And uh, if you want to help them out, please go to Lost Boys, Inc., dot org donate today give them your money because that's why we're having these conversations is to raise awareness of what levante is doing on the south side trying to uh, basically give a baseball team a travel team to kids that normally wouldn't get it uh based upon uh you know income level and opportunity so um we're let me just say this too john baker day talks here's what we're doing if in case you haven't heard what we're doing we're doing inter- a series of interviews with John Baker, uh, the Cubs mental skills coordinator and former backup catcher, about black baseball in Chicago, the past, present, and future. We are currently in the present. We have already – well, we haven't completed the past. Of uh, The past is, is in the past, as they say. But we talked to Bob Kendrick of the Negro League Baseball Museum. If you want to check out that whole interview, it's on my YouTube page, which is Danny Rocket with two Ts, and it's in a playlist called John Baker Day. So if you search either of those things, you'll probably find it. Uh, there's also a breakdown of that interview uh, on that same playlist. Uh, we already did the interview with Doug Landville. We're going to watch some clips of it tonight. And uh, we're going to talk about a few of the concepts that came up during that interview. And uh, we're going to also try to raise money, as I said, for Lost Boys, Inc. 
So donate now, lostboysinc.org. Check out their website. There's a donate button right there. That's why we're doing all this to help uh, and to uh, raise the voices that need raising uh, in this current situation. So, um, all right, let's start here. Uh, right now, I think we have to talk about right now because of what's going on in Major League Baseball. There's games getting canceled based upon um, uh, the ba- protesting for Black Lives Matter the uh, the death of Jake or the not the death but the shooting of Jacob Blake uh, on top of uh, the the murder of George Floyd uh, and the the summer of unrest that we've had here in the city has made baseball players take a stand right now. Um, the Cubs they had Jason Hayward sit out of the game last night. Uh, Sarah, you wrote an article about this last night or. Uh, while this was kind of all unfolding, and I just want to put up before you talk about it real quick, is a uh, a quote from Jason Hayward. He said, I felt that I needed to be part of what's going on. I say that because we made these statements together as a player's alliance, as players in MLB, that it's time for us to stand up and be part of the cause and not just sweep it under the rug. And if we just went out there and played tonight and ignored what the NBA was doing and ignoring what's happening right now, then I feel like that would be going back on our word. And so Jason Hayward did not play in the game. You wrote an article about how that made you feel that the Cubs didn't go with him and uh, also delved into some of the other statements that the uh, teams were making. So could you maybe talk a little bit about um, how you were feeling last night and, you know, what your where your emotions are lying now? All right. All right. Um... Andy and I just recorded our latest episode of Cup of Cubby Blue, and it, it was emotional, man. Like, by the time we got done, both of us were near tears, kind of, like, talking it out. Um, I'm just going to be really honest. I've been a Cubs fan since I was four years old. In that time frame, there have been a lot of disappointing things that have happened with this team. Some of them have been on the field. Some of them have been off the field. Um, Addison Russell, looking at you. I have never been more disappointed in a Cubs team than I was yesterday when Jason Hayward decided that he was going to sit out in order to protest the violence and police violence that has happened against black lives, um, specifically this week in Kenosha, but for decades, <laughs> century, like centuries. Um, and part of it was that this was the players. This wasn't the front office letting us down. This wasn't the Ricketts letting us down. This was the players letting one of their own down. So when Jason Hayward said, I'm not going to play tonight, it means a lot to me, they all should have said, we're not going to play either. We watched a lot of teams do that. We watched the Dodgers do that. We watched the Mariners do that. Uh, The Rockies got it right eventually. They didn't sit out yesterday with Matt Kemp. They did sit out today. I was so disappointed that they didn't come together on this. And, And I'll be as fair as possible. John Greenberg from The Athletic wrote a really great article that has the timeline of the whole thing. They basically got about 30 minutes. They were all dressed when Jason Hayward took the floor in the clubhouse and said, I'm not going to play tonight. This is really important to me. And then he followed it up with, but y'all play. Like, go play. Go do your thing. And I just think that anybody who's ever been in a situation where someone is taking a stand or someone is doing something that's really important to them knows that you would rather have people with you in that moment. Like you say things like, no, just go. It'll be fine. (laughs) Uh, 
he wanted his teammates with him, and they weren't. And they'll never get that moment back. It was a historic moment. What we saw on Wednesday night was one of the most historic athlete protests I've ever seen. It crossed multiple sports. And in my opinion, the Cubs didn't do, did, they didn't do well by the moment. They didn't do well by the movement and they didn't do well by Jason Hayward. So Sarah, you know, it's interesting that you say that because the Rockies did play last night and as did the Cubs and Tigers and the they Cubs are off. The Cubs are off tonight. So uh, Trevor story of the Rockies said that the Rockies missed an opportunity to sit along with Matt Kemp on Wednesday. We had a chance to stand up with our guy last night and we didn't do it. And I think that, you know, I, 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 it's like you said, there was a chance to rise to the moment and it was definitely disappointing. And there were other teams that did rise to the moment. And so our team not doing it is conspicuous in not doing it. Andy, you had something? Well, and if, if what the quote that you just showed from Jason Hayward at the end, he, he said, we would go back on our word. Now, I know he's talking about the, the Players Alliance, but in actuality, if you think about it, it was the entire Cubs team that, that basically said that with opening day, the actions that they, that they took, all of the opening day ceremonies that they took against all the social injustices that were going on and the things that they said, the shirts that they wore, our word. We're not going to go back on our word. Well, last night it was his word. You know, he didn't go back on his and, word. And this is what their word is. This is the statement from the Players Alliance. On behalf of more than 100 black current and former MLB players that make up the Players Alliance, we remain unified by our mission and dedicated by making real lasting change. The color of our skin is the uniform we wear every day. We cannot change that. What we can change is the pain and injustice the black community has suffered for far too long. We are determined to use our platform to speak out and encourage our teammates and fans to make our voices even less louder our players have collectively decided to donate their salaries on august 27th and 28th jackie robinson day to the players alliance supporting our efforts to combat racial inequality and aid the black families and communities deeply affected in the wake of recent events we cannot stand idly by and wait for change in our game or in our country we encourage our allies and fans to join us in taking action with your support we can we can and we will write we rewrite our history creating a more equal world we can all live in together the players alliance.com is where you can find out more and um you know, Jason Hayward is, it, this was tweeted out today, and Crawley, you sent this to me, thinking about how Jason Hayward was the only Cubs player to sign the Players Coalition letter to Congress urging them to pass the ending Qualified Immunity Act. So this isn't the first time every member of his team has refused to stand with him. And so, yeah, it's disappointing. Um, I think that a lot of players, um, you know, the, the word going out last night was that, well, Jason encouraged the Cubs to play. And, you know, what I kind of think about that is, okay, here's one of maybe two African-American black people on the Chicago Cubs. It's all on his shoulders at that moment. And what is he going to do? The game's in 45 minutes. Is he going to tell people, you know, uh, yeah, you know, I know you're dressed. John Lester, I know you already warmed up and all, but, you know, we're, we're going to just, we're going to bang this game. Sorry. And I think that he's going to take the side of uh, least resistance and just be like, you go ahead and play. I'm out tonight. 
but it, it was disappointing. And um, I think a lot of players – I think, first of all, East Coast, you do have the hour – uh, you know, difference because when that unfolded, I do think that players may have made a different choice given maybe even one more hour of time to digest what was going on. You know, it was an unexpected thing that was happening. And I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to give, I don't want to read too much into the fact that the Cubs didn't do it. I, I, I'm not. Why? I do. Why not? I do. Why not? <laughs> and let me, let me be really clear about this because I think that, look, you're right. They only had 30 minutes. I mean, Lester and Wilson Contreras probably weren't even in the room. They were probably out on the field doing long toss at that point in time. So they wouldn't have even had a chance to be part of that conversation. But, but I will say this. And a bunch of people are probably going to come in my mentions right now and hate me for this, but just hear me out. Ryan Braun got this right. If you look at what Ryan Braun said after this game, he said, we wore the shirts and this was a chance for us to take action and we just knew we had to. The vote was unanimous and immediate. They didn't hesitate. They didn't pause. They didn't say, well, I don't know, hem and ha, I don't know if this is right or not. They said, we said we were going to stand up for this thing. We wore a shirt that said we were going to stand up for this thing. And here we are. And we will put our our." People like we will put our actions behind those words, and yeah. the Cubs were faced with the same thing, and they didn't. It's true, and and granted, they were just in a different circumstance of like maybe they were getting ready for the game. But I did was very moved by what Christian Yelich said. He said there comes, a, and I think it's probably the same thing Braun said. There comes a time when you have to live it. You have to step up. You can't just wear these shirts and think that's all well and good. Yelich said, and when it comes time to act on it or make a stand or make a statement, you can't just not do it. And that's what we decided here today. Us coming here together collectively as a group, making a stand, making a statement for change, for making the world a better place, for equality, for doing the right thing. And that was, I mean, that's, that's what we want out of our team. I think as Cub fans, I mean, Sarah, Andy, I know all of us, like, Crawley, you were so mad after our pregame yesterday. You're like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to watch this Cubs game. I'm going to go spend time with my family tonight because I can't watch those assholes. And that was basically your take on it. And I think we were all pretty frustrated by that moment. Was hope, we're hoping that the Cubs would walk up the field and be leaders in this situation. Well, now maybe they know what they expect them from making that mistake instead of, I mean, this is what I'm going to do. I, you, everybody can feel how they want to feel. I'm not going to necessarily demonize them for this one moment. I'm going to trust that maybe they'll make a better move next time that it, that they're presented with a better, a different choice. Well, you know, um, my frustration was, uh, you know, just something probably that was building up for a while. There's a lot of times that we've talked about this where we've said that we want the Cubs to be leaders in certain things instead of, you know, being middle of the pack or just leading from behind, uh, not even leading from behind, not even leading period. And so it was just kind of like one of those things where it was, it was a moment you saw the opportunity to really kind of truly be the heroes. You know what I mean? The heroes of the day to, to, to say, Hey, we stand with Jason. We stand with our, you know, with our teammate and we're not going to march onto this field while he's behind us and leave him behind. And that's where I just was yesterday is there's just been a lot of things that, uh, you know, like I said, I'll always love the Cubs. You know, it's, it's, I've grown up with them. They've been part of my, my family weaved into the DNA of my family really. And, uh, you know, it just, but, it, but 
as all of us, you know, every, you know, everyone in this group, people know are just, you know, big Cubs fans. We all are, you know what I mean? You know, not only just the writing part, but also, you know, for, for Sarah doing the writing or podcasting, but we're not, you know, it, it, they mean a lot to us and, and they reflect on us almost in a way, you know what I mean? Where it's like, if the Cubs do something really good that I'm proud of, I beam like, like, you know what I mean? And, and when they do something that lets me down and, and, and yesterday it was a letdown and it wasn't just, you didn't catch a pop fly or you struck out with the bases loaded. It was something on a bigger level. And, and for people that don't know me real well, I'm, I'm a history teacher and, and uh, you know, I do history is my other love and uh, you know, history judges people. And, and, and when the books are written on this, you know what I mean? what are they going to be saying? And I just, when I heard some of the things coming from the Dodgers, Clayton Kershaw is not some East coast liberal guy. You know what I mean? He's kind of a good old boy from Texas, you know? And I'm not saying I know his political affiliations or anything, but just hearing some of the things that they said, I was just like, this doesn't have to be political. It just has to be about doing the right thing. That's all. Yeah. And we were, we were not the only fans. We were not the only fan base. I listened to a number of podcasts for other teams and uh, this was happening all over the place. Um, it was uh, in, it was, it was, it was a sad day. It was a confusing day and different teams made different decisions. And we're all as a fan base, we're, we're just going to have to deal with the decisions that are, teams made and hope that they can learn from it and move forward in a way that does hopefully make us proud. Yeah. My, my whole thing is I, I get really tired of the Cubs waiting until things are comfortable to do them. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the whole, this whole thing for, for one, you know, if, if half of the league is doing it or, or everybody in the league is doing it, then of course the Cubs are going to do it. You know, I, it just, for me, I, I would prefer that with such a national spotlight on this franchise almost all the time, it, it would have been so much more powerful for them to be one of the teams that led the pack on this and to take the back burner and to, you know, again, wait for it to be comfortable, wait for it to be mainstream. I think it's just such a, it's just a, a cop out, you well, know, the, the brewers put out, I mean, there are some teams that put out a statement and uh, this is too small. This is from the players of the Milwaukee Brewers saying that they've decided to not play tonight's baseball game with our community, our nation, uh, in such pain and, and talk, and they want to, you know, uh, they, they want an end that to things that really matter, especially racial injustice and systematic, systemic oppression. And the brewers put that out. They tweet that out from their corporate account. Laura Ricketts retweets it, says eloquent and true. And, uh, you know, I kind of took her to task and I said, you know, Laura, you you know you own a baseball team too, lady. You know you you could maybe you know twist a few arms and put out your own statement because you got a statement here from the Rangers. We respect the decision by the Oakland A's to postpone the, tonight's game. We condemn racial injustice. Blah blah blah. Now a lot of this, I think, is lip service, and people view it that way. Um, from coming from certain corporations and maybe certain other ideologies, the A's put something up: social injustice and systemic racism. You know, and they go on these conversations and we're not going to take the field and everybody's got their statement. And, you know, the Cubs don't have not everybody, though. Not everybody has a statement. The Cubs have no statement. And I well, think that's Cubs, what's frustrating all of us. The Cubs have no statement because they had one player 
take a stand. And the rest of the team kind of sat back and like, and look, I, I want to give credit. I don't know who they are. I want to give credit to the unnamed players that went into David Ross's office and said, hey, man, we don't feel very good about playing this game if Jason Hayward is going to sit. And I want to recognize that baseball teams are made up of 20 and 30 something year old kids who are not history teachers, right? So what they needed in that clubhouse was one person who could lead and say, hey, this is a big deal. This is a moment. And we all have to be together on this. We cannot let Jason Hayward do this alone. And they didn't have that person. And look, the only two people that I can think of in that clubhouse who would have been that person are Anthony Rizzo and John Lester. We already talked about the fact that John Lester wasn't on the field. Um, I don't know if he would have said that or not. I think we all know that he's a little more conservative. So I'm not going to like pretend that Lester would have said something if he was there. Um, Rizzo didn't. And I, I, look, I'm not trying to call out Anthony Rizzo. I think he's great. I want him to be a Cub for life. I think he's a borderline Hall of Famer if he keeps his numbers up through the rest of his career. I also think that he's not great on these issues. And he probably was, didn't know what to do with what was going on at this moment in time. And so he did, he took his friend and the guy he looks to for leadership, Jason Hayward, at his word and said, all right, well, he wants us to play. So I guess we're going to play. We're going to respect his wishes. And that was the wrong answer. And I, I don't want to put the weight of the world on a bunch of 20 and 30 year old kids. They're, they're there to play baseball. They're not there to always do the right thing, but it was so disappointing to see other franchises have people in the clubhouse who got it right who understood that our guy can't sit without us, that we have to rise to this occasion and for the Cubs clubhouse, not to be that team. And I hope they've learned from it. I, I have hope that we will see something tomorrow. Although like tomorrow is supposed to be Jackie Robinson day. And that's a whole thing with MLB. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that later, but I, they're never going to get a do over on that moment but they can choose what they do going forward. Yeah. You know, Sarah, you bring up that fact. And and one thing that I kind of was just going through my head yesterday through all of this was they brought David Ross in because of his ability to lead, because of his ability to hold people accountable and, and the respect that I guess he kind of, you know, he commands from a lot of the players. And I thought about it, you know, a lot of people may or may not know the story, but, uh, David Ross was with Jason Hayward in Atlanta, Jason's rookie year. And when it was when it was Ross's last season, Hayward paid on the road to have a penthouse hotel suite for Ross and his family. You know what I mean? And I'm not and and maybe Ross now doesn't cross that line, but even then I was kind of like I you know when 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 they said David Ross is going to be a manager, how you know people listen to him, how he's a leader. It was this possibly a you know I'm, I'm tr- like I said there's so much that's going through my head and it's just hard to figure out and you're sifting through everything and it's just like I don't know you know I don't know it's it's going to be messy you know I I don't think we're going to do everything right I you know the Cubs maybe made a mistake I think we 
you know, if they're paying attention to what many of the fans feel and not all the fans feel this way, by the way, you know, some fans are like, I'm just really glad they played, you know, like these people should just shut up and play and, you know, keep your politics out of my sports and stuff like that. Well, that's really hard to do, <laughs> you know, sometimes when there's just bigger issues going on, you know, and this has been a year of a lot of different bigger issues. Um, I want to move on a little bit and um, talk about maybe why we're even uh, having these conversations and why there even are protests right now in the major leagues. And that's because, uh, frankly, shit's messed up, you know, and it's been mess and it's it's always been messed up. You know, it's been messed up for 400 years ever since, uh, you know, if you were brown, it meant this thing. And if you were white, white, it meant that thing. And if you were a certain shade of white or, or tan that it meant something else you know and ever since you know we the inception of even the white and brown people together on this land together it's it's been messed up and we've been dealing with it ever since and this is another moment in time that we are and luckily we had to we got a great conversation with Doug Glanville and a lot of very smart people are also thinking about this at the different blogs um Time for a quick interruption from our sponsor, Bet Online. Um, as sports keep coming back, well, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline.ag. So you got Major League Baseball, NBA, they're in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. Bet Online has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the Bet Online team in a new segment called the ice is right where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection he'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses bet online your online wagering experts there was an article that we discussed with doug uh, out of baseball prospectus that Sarah had brought to my attention about how uh, players in the minor leagues of color, players of color in the minor leagues are valued differently than white players because of the biases of scouts. And it was actually something that was quantified. Um, I'm looking for the, here's the, uh, the chart here. That Sarah shared from uh, Baseball Prospectus, um, and that's the uh, the uh, the the player value of could, Sarah. Can you explain this? It's it basically means yeah. African American. Yeah, I, I look at a chart, and my eyes kind of glaze over. I'm like, I don't know what it says. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're good. Crowley's Crowley's not the only teacher here. I taught for seven years. Um, <laughs> so. That blue line is the war share, which means that it's the percentage of wins above replacement that player that African American players had at a given year in MLB. And the red line is the player share, meaning like the number of players who were in the league. So what you can see is that African American players contribute substantially more wins above replacement than their actual numbers in the league. And the other part of that article is interesting is it talks about how it takes on average uh, players of color, so this is not just African-American players at this point, it's also Latino players and other non-white players, 0.8 years longer to make it to their leagues, which means they're losing almost a full season of their career 
because people are undervaluing who they are as a player. And if, and I, I really encourage everybody to check this out. It's a great article um, by Rob Arthur, uh, who goes by, I believe, No Little Plans on Twitter. Um, and he, he basically lays this out, including a word cloud of terms that get used for white players and players of color. And you can see it. I mean, you can see it in terms of like strong, Bass, solid bat, quick hands versus like temper, fiery, weak. Like there's just like there's so yeah. many implicit yeah. biases that keep these players from getting to the major leagues, even though they outperform when they're there. Well, I'm gonna play a, a, a video. It's about a minute and a half long, and uh, it's Doug Glanville talking about bias in the minors. So here's that video coming up in the minor leagues. Black players, we kind of talk here and there. As we g- gain these levels, we watch these players disappear, right? The diversity disappear. And we said, well, it's, it's just harder to be a role player if you're black. You know, we used to say stuff like that. Like, it, you know, didn't really have data or evidence. It just kind of felt like player A versus player B, the black player would not get the benefit of the doubt. And and I think that turned out to have a lot of truth in that data, for example, because, and I'll give you one example. I played with a guy named Micah Lewis and Micah was very outspoken. He's a, kind of a middle infielder, second baseman, good player, uh, played him with, in double A. And, but he, you know, he was always reading and he was reading, uh, you know, autobiography of Malcolm X. I mean, he was just very sp- spoke out and they started calling him Micah X, you know, like, you know, just that was it. And, and that became quite a weight on him. Not so much that he saw it was like dishonorable, but he knew that that was probably going to hurt him. And I think it was a, there was another player who was drafted in the Twins. He was the Twins, and he was traded to the Cubs at some point, minor league. He, um, he said that one of the players that he was competing with who was white, they, told, they actually called him in the office and told him that, you know, you come from a good family, you come from a good background, we want to see you be successful, you know. Um, and it was then, it was kind of straight up, you know. It was just very... Um, so, you know, so a lot of that, once again, didn't tie to data and was that the exception to the rule? We weren't sure, but we just felt that. Yeah. So it's it just kind of like, I guess from Doug's experience, it was just, there were different expectations from the black players than the white players. And if, you know, you couldn't be somebody that was outspoken or you know, like the the gentleman that he, he played with. It was just a, a situation where they didn't like, he wasn't respected for that. You know, that was not, that was going to be seen as like, oh, you're a difficult person to deal with because, you know, most of your uh, most of your uh, uh, coaches and your scouts are going to be white people. And they're going to the intersectionality of that moment. I think can go against the player, which I, which is what they kind of showed in that article that there is an undervaluation. Well, in, in tying that to what Doug was saying about the role player, uh, the role player on the ball club is not the star. He's the guy on the bench. He's the one who's going to come in. Um, I can't, I mean, there's only, like 7.5%, uh, you know, African-Americans in this league. There's not that much room on a bench when that's all you have in the league complete. And then 
you know, and so what Sarah was saying about the ward and about the uh, valuations, that's who it's going to hurt. It's not going to hurt the superstar. Barry Bonds makes his way no matter what. Willie Mays makes his way no matter what. Uh, but, you know, the guy that we we don't recognize the name, he's not going to get that spot on the bench, you know, and that's that's where those numbers hurt them because he doesn't get that one extra year because he's being valued lower. And that's what Doug was saying without, you know, repeating what was going on or with, without referencing that statistic that Sarah has. It, those two things are working together, and, and that's what's happening uh, at the lower levels. The black players just aren't getting the opportunity to, you know, sit on the bench. Yeah, and then uh, the other issue that Doug brought up was about managers and the fact that uh, there has been a pipeline that was said to have existed that didn't end up existing, really, you know, which is going down to the minor leagues, riding the bus, paying your dues, coaching a little bit. And then when it came really when it came down to it after the kind of the analytics explosion uh, starting in the early 2000s and, and you know, better computing power, better data, better statistics that you could uh, figure out a lot of things. Well, you didn't need managers anymore. They're just the computer would tell you, like, hand you the script as to how to pitch to this guy, how to field him and, and all that stuff. So you didn't really need a manager who had paid his dues. So it all changed. So let me play this next um and this is a little bit longer of a clip this is four minutes long uh this is doug talking about the pipeline of mlb managers my first article i ever wrote for the athletic was about managerial hiring and the one thing that i kept coming back with that was cool with sandy allison we used to have these discussions was let's just look at the timeline this is this is sort of indicative of how kind of american business can work in a very shadowy but sometimes even unintended way but it just sort of can have these racial implications. So let's look at, let's go back to 1987. Al Campanis says what he says right on Nightline. I think it was Ted Koppel. And he says something about, you know, blacks don't have the capabilities or something about managing, right? So he got buried for this incendiary quote about not being capable or managers, right? But there was, I listened to the whole interview not long ago. And before he says something about capabilities and swimming and all that, he actually says, uh, basically, like, I'm going to summarize, but black folks aren't willing to go to the miners and pay their dues and go up the chain to be managers. It was sort of like that. And I thought that was actually became more compelling than even the kind of racially inflammatory comments because he was saying, okay, you're not in the pipeline and you're not paying your dues. So therefore, you know, how are we going to hire you? Now, even though he knew, they control the pipeline or whatever. It was just sort of stated that way. So this is 40 years after Jackie Robinson broke in. That was the anniversary. And that's kind of what he said. Robinson's last speech publicly in baseball was in Cincinnati where he said, I want to see blackface in the coach's box, something like that. Right. So 87, it comes out now gradually over time, these minor leagues start to kind of fill up with diversity, diverse candidates, Latin, Latin America, and gradually out. Now think about where this actually goes. What happens in sort of the mid late 2000s, right? 2012, 11, like Mike Matheny, when he gets hired right around there with the Cardinals, the pipeline fills up with diverse candidates. 
And then the analytics revolution tells them that you don't need experience anymore. And so they all, all of a sudden the power structure says, wait a minute, wait, wait, no, you don't need all this pipeline minor league stuff. You just can be groomed and be a special assistant that's handpicked by the organization. We'll train you for three years and we'll laterally move you to be a manager. That's it. And it coincided with the pipeline finally being diverse. And so as a person of color, you look at that and it feels like a conspiracy. Like you're, you're just moving the shell game around, but it was tied to this true revolution around analytics. Now that's always been there to some degree, but not like it was. And so if you don't have the systematic checks to go, Oh, I, I need to have sort of equity audits in these policies to kind of see that it, it may be pernicious. It may be unintended, but there's a, there's this constant river flowing that kind of can create these discriminatory outcomes, right? And and so in this case, you have, all right, so think about all the managers that were hired, right? Mike Matheny, Matheny, Robin Ventura, Walt Weiss, Craig Council, Dan Jennings, da 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 Every single manager that was a beneficiary was a former player who had zero experience that was white. I mean, that's how it sort of played out. And, and there was like nine or so hires in a row. Now go, and I did the research and I go back in time and look at the local newspapers of when these managers were hired. Now these are great players, highly respected, qualified. It's just that the, the rules of qualification had shifted and it, and it ended up excluding certain people because there wasn't a player from who grew up in the Dominican Republic who was a special assistant to the Colorado Rockies. That wasn't happening. It was in Colorado Springs. So go back to these local newspapers and a lot of the papers said, uh, you know, and I used it in the article, Walt Weiss, he's like, well, it, oh, being, having experience is a negative thing. Like it, it literally changed even in the media coverage of it that it became a negative. And, and that was a totally antithetical to what Campanis was arguing. Andy, let, let me ask you about that, uh, th what Doug was just talking about, is that the kind of the, the idea of the, ga the game changing or the rules changing in the middle of the game. And, you know, and that seems like it might have a, a few different parallels to being a woman working in sports, like, oh, you got to work your way up or, you know, and then, oh, you got to do these things. And if you only do these things, then you'll get what you want. And then so you do those things and then the, the game changes on you. Like, I, I mean, you don't have to speak to your personal experience, but like, do you have any thoughts on like what Doug was even talking about? Well, I think it's funny that he used Mike Matheny as an example, because obviously his um, ability to coach is still kind of questionable. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I had to, I had to go there. I had to go. Hey, there. This no. is a this is technically a cub show, you know. <laughs> this is a cub fan project. <laughs> well, I mean, so really, when you think about it, all the talent that was built up in that pipeline, these white coaches and managers ended up bypassing all of that because you know, like he said, the everything shifted. I mean, that happens all the time in a lot of things that we deal with on a day to day basis, and I mean, w people just don't. I guess they just don't pay attention enough or like Doug said, there needs to be some sort of quality assurance in this in systems to make sure that that doesn't happen because we can't continue to follow rules. Like you're the puppet master and all of a sudden you change the rules and we're just left with nothing, you know, like 
you know, to, to be up to do a podcast, like you, well, you have to have experience. Like you have to, you have to have podcasted before. Okay. Well, let me go get experience. Okay. Well now we just want somebody that's young and fun and energetic. Okay. Well, hold on. Let me be young and fun and energetic. I can't be young anymore. (laughs) You know, I mean, you can't keep shifting the rules and expect that, you know, it's going to stay fair to everybody. That's just not the way it works. And especially when, you know, you've, you've pulled these strings and you've given these, these certain things that people need to follow along the way. And they do that because you you want them to pay their dues and they're happy to go pay their dues because they want to show you that they're willing to work into the position that they want to be in. And then all of a sudden you, you pull it out from under them. Well, that's, that's not what makes sense anymore. Like, you know, it just, it's just, it's the quality assurance part of this is so undervalued and so, you know, it's not a focus point and it should be. I mean, there should be so many different, so many different aspects of minor leagues to major leagues to assure that these young minority men are getting into the majors because obviously the numbers are there and, you know, the stereotypes that go with young men of color should not follow them wherever they go. I mean, they should be valued at just like that young American white player that, you know, you, you come from a good family. We want to see you do well, you know? Yeah, and Sarah, that's something you brought up too on the, during that, that show that we did uh, with Doug in that, that is a, a market inefficiency that any team that would manage to v- value people properly uh, based on their skill level and take the bias out of the situation will actually have a, an advantage in the future. Look, Theo Epstein, if you're watching, I'm sure that this is what you do <laughs> on a Thursday night, but you know, you never know. Uh, Theo, if you're watching, get some minorities in your player development and scouting and coaching pipeline and watch the talent flow. Because what we have right now is a league that systemically undervalues talent of certain players and doesn't develop that talent. And if you want to create a huge potential like source of where the Cubs have a resource that other teams aren't tapping at the moment, that is a place to tap it. I mean, one article I'm currently working on for BCB that is not done yet, sorry, Al, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it, I promise, is that if you look back at the history of the Cubs and the Red Sox, the two longest curses in professional sports, and everybody's like, oh, my God, it's the, you traded Babe Ruth. Oh, my God, it's the black cat. Oh, my God, it's the, it's the billy goat. What it really was was racism. They were two of the last teams to integrate, and they didn't want a ton of black players on their squads. And there are tons of documents from those time periods that back this up. So at a time when other teams were going out and looking to the Negro Leagues for the best talent to improve their squads, at a time when Branch Rickey was willing to integrate his squad, the Cubs were kind of sitting on their hands and like, I don't know, we're going we're gonna to trade Lou Brock. <laughs> like, yeah, there were too many black faces in that dugout, according okay. to the management yeah and and going to what doug was saying about management uh the diverse backgrounds for management that goes all the way back like the cubs are lauded and should be lauded for buck o'neill becoming the first african-american to ever be a coach in the mlb but still today he is not recognized at that stadium 
the team doesn't recognize him with a special day. His number should be retired. Number and, 53, 53 was his number. Yes. And in the middle of the College of Coaches, where literally anybody who happened to work for the Cubs got to coach him for a little bit, uh, he got passed over for the position. And Buck himself noted the fact that he was the first guy to break that barrier didn't mean he was the only guy that could do it. He knew a whole slew of guys, in his words, who could wave a guy home. Yeah. You know, and that's all they let him do. And to this day, he is still an uh, an undervalued commodity of Cubs history. Yeah, and if you want to learn more about Buck O'Neill, check out our first conversation that we had with Bob Kendrick of the Negro League Baseball Museum. Uh, that's all on my YouTube channel, Danny Rocket with two T's, uh, and there's a playlist called John Baker Day 2020. It's got all the shows that we're doing concerning this. I, I want to add one more thing. It's a short clip. It's only 30 seconds long. Uh, Doug talks about the importance of valuation in the major leagues. Valuation is critical. And, and the only point I'll make to what we can do about it is you need these equity audits. You really do need. And, and I think people just, you know, sometimes get offended, like, oh, you need to tell me to be fair to people. But it is. It's just part of representation. And it's very human to have your biases. And we're trying to design. You, you have to design almost against it. You really have to design against it until it becomes a social norm and has power behind it. Excuse the interruption, but I've got a message from our sponsor, Bet Online. Okay, uh, sports are coming back. Well, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline.ag. You got MLB, NBA, full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action because Bet Online has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, Tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the Bet Online team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. Visit betonline.ag because they're your online wagering experts, and we thank them for sponsoring the Sun Ranto Show. One more advertisement for you people. Uh, our show is sponsored by. Oh, God, I remember the time way back when, when I was shaving my balls and I nicked them. Oh, that was painful. But that is a thing of the past, because now I have the Manscaped Lawn Mower 3.0. It's a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give me confidence and boost through body image. It's got a ceramic blade, skin-safe technology, and it's designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellas down below. The Lawn Mower 3.0 is also waterproof. It comes with an LED light, and you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or... In a dark shower. Whatever you want to do. They also released their Shears 2.0 nail kit. It's the perfect add-on to their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. The Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools. And it includes tip tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. 
The Shears 2.0 Nail Kit allows you to pluck your eyebrows and trim your nails in style. On their website, you'll also find the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant, and moisturizer. Well, I said that weird. Moisturizer. This will help you tame that summer swamp ass with natural hydrators and antioxidants. You'll also find the Crop Reviver. It's a testy toner that's like having cologne that is designed for your balls. Now, we won't judge you if you catch you uh, sniffing yourself. Well, uh, I might, but they won't. Go to manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products. Here's what you do. Listeners of this show, you get 20% off, plus free shipping with the promo code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off, free shipping, manscaped.com. Use the code armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk. Get it done, men. I suppose women could use this too, but it's made for men, mostly. So, manscaped.com. Thanks for sponsoring the Sunranto Show. Back to the show. Promo code armchair. Uh, one thing about Doug that I think is particularly fascinating is he's from Teaneck, New Jersey, originally, which it's claim to fame. It's it's just outside of Manhattan, just over the George Washington Bridge, not too far away from uptown Manhattan. And uh, it was the first uh, city to voluntarily integrate. And so what they did was they integrated the sixth grade. There was a, you know, a conversation. Hey, why black people said, hey, why do you get this on the south side of town? And we get this crap on the north side of town. And they said, you're, and the white people said, you're right. That's not fair. And so they decided to integrate the sixth grade. And from and then it worked great. And so, uh, you know, from then on in, long story short, Doug grew up in a, a more diverse situation than a lot of black kids and white kids are allowed to. Um, and he wasn't as segregated as most of us are. And I think that because of that, it gives him a unique perspective on, uh, you know, everything that we're talking about right now. One of those unique perspectives is the fact that Doug, uh, he was coached by cops as a kid. So he grew up with cops. His father, who was an immigrant from Trinidad and Tobago, who really didn't view he he wasn't a, an American black person, he was a a, a a immigrant, so that made him his his experience different than an than some people of color who are the uh, the descendants of slaves, and uh, people of color who were enslaved in this country, and so his and that's what his mother what her background was. So you have very, a lot of different perspectives rolling around in Doug Glanville that, you know, that I think should be appreciated with everything that he says. Um, that does not change the fact that he is a black man in this country and that any person that sees him will view him that way and make all the judgments accordingly there. So Doug has told the story before. Maybe some of you watching have already heard it, but, uh, Doug is, uh, I'm thankful that Doug is willing to share painful stories like this uh, because he uh, has been profiled like many black people in this country, some of who get killed in those situations, some of who are shot in the back like we saw the other day. Um, uh, so, uh, but, so Doug is willing to share some of these more painful stories about it, but he also has a unique perspective with the police as does Levante, 
who, it, 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 unfortunately, he will not be joining us tonight. But I do have a clip that I want to share of Levante talking about his working with the police in, on the south side of Chicago and how important that is to have, like, recognition and a relationship with the police if you are a person of color in those neighborhoods. So let me start with by just playing this uh, video of Doug uh, running he had with the cops uh, shoveling his driveway. I was just uh, shoveling my driveway in in uh, Hartford, Connecticut. Excuse <clears throat> me. And then for those of you who know the Northeast at all, Hartford is the capital. It's in the kind of north central part of the state. And it's kind of surrounded by rivers and mountains. It's really trapped. And the town directly to the west is called West Hartford. And Northeasters know like how provincial the states are, right? So every town is like you're in a different planet, right? They have their own police force, their own school, just all that. So, so it's a big deal when you cross town lines. And so I, we happen to live a block from the border of West Hartford in Hartford. Now, Hartford demographically is a black and brown city, a lot of poverty. And then you have this kind of one neighborhood that's, you know, probably where the large percentage of, of white residents live. But it's also the power brokers uh, because they have um, <clears throat> it's the, the governor, you know, this is the capital. So uh, the seat of government. I mean, this so this place has, you know, state senators and everything. Right. So. We, uh, we actually liked it for the historic district. We liked old houses, so we didn't really always make those connections. So long story short, we only had been living there about a year. And I go outside in the snow after four snow days of my kids being trapped in the house, which now seems like normal. I was like, I got to get this minivan out of this driveway if I have to push it out of here, right? So, so I go outside. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. It's literally zero degrees. And my wife is happy that I'm doing it because I'm always like, ah, I'll get it later, whatever. So I go out to shovel and I get to the end of my driveway and I look up and there's a cruiser, police cruiser across the street. And I was like, and I'm, I'm very good with cars. So I'm like, hmm, that's like a Ford Interceptor, you know, whatever. And it's it says West Hartford instead of Hartford. Now, and if you're in the South, like Raleigh, these regional police forces, you don't really think anything of it. But in Connecticut, that's like a big deal. Why is there an officer from another town across the street? So I'm watching this guy and watching. He's in his cruiser. He's kind of fiddling and sat there for a while. So I just go back to shoveling. Start shoveling again. Big coat, you know, haven't shaved in days. And uh, I look up and this officer's crossing the street. And I remember he was wearing that kind of ski mask thing. His eyes, it wasn't just his eyes. Just all you could see is his face. Clean shaven. He was had to be in his late twenties. Young guy, and um, so it was white guy, black guy. I'm shoveling, crosses the street. So I kind of stand up, seeing, and I thought it was going to be like, hey, um, you know, where's Elizabeth Park or just anything, right? And he says, um, so, uh, kind of very aggressively. So you're um, you're trying to make some extra bucks shoveling people's driveway around here. I mean, that's how he started. That was the first thing he said. So I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, So now, once again, I still had time to think, okay, I've had a lot of good experiences with law enforcement. And I also knew that my response was going to dictate a lot of my future. So I said, all right, I, I can't tell this guy to get off my driveway. I, I got to kind of be cool. And uh, I just said, well, you know, look, now this is, I'm in my own driveway and trying to shovel, you know, small talk. He didn't really respond. And then eventually minutes went by and he finally said, happy shoveling and took off. 
So he never really explained why he was there or introduced himself or apologized or whatever. He was gone. Now, I didn't know what he was looking for. He might have been in some pursuit. I, I had no idea. But it was pretty shocking and felt like you kind of, I was like something was stolen from me. I guess that's the best description because, you know, you have this sort of sanctuary of your own property and your home and you're kind of doing a service on, you know, taking care of your house and you're not thinking of much else. And that's how quickly it changed. Um, yeah, I'm, it's that's just a heartbreaking story. I mean, it's that's never happened to me, you know, right? I wouldn't assume that, and it, that would ever happen to me. That people would think I was, uh, you know, handyman trying to hustle money. You know, it's just, and but I th- thank you, Doug, for sharing that. You know, I mean, just just uh, people don't know that that happens all the time. Right. So um, I'm going to jump in here because that's that hasn't happened to me. Uh, Andy and I were actually talking about this on our podcast, which will be released tomorrow at Cup of Cubby Blue if you're looking for it when it drops. Um, both of us are very white presenting Latinas, so it's not something that we deal with all the time. Um, but I, I've had stuff like that happen to my dad. I've had stuff like that happen to my brother. I've had stuff like that happen to my uncles. It's there's there's a store in my little town of Price, Utah that I when I was a kid, I couldn't figure out why we couldn't go there. They had like the cool jeans, you know, like the I don't even remember, like the the like Jero jeans or whatever was cool in like 1990. And I, <laughs> I didn't understand why we couldn't go to the only store in town that carried the coolest jeans. And one day my mom explained to me that when they had first moved there, my dad had gone into that store and the store owner had followed him around and called the cops because he was just there, just like looking around. And that that's why we didn't go to that store. And I, I never forgot that. I mean, I never forgot any story like that growing up or any of the people who said things like that to my dad. I have, a, I have like a running list in my head of people who I know can't be trusted because of the way they treated my relatives, regardless of how they treat them. So that really resonated with me. It was such a powerful thing to hear from Doug, and I bet that he has some things to say here. I was going to say, I actually, um, and I haven't talked to my sister very much because my sister actually works um, for a national lab. She was working with NASA on the uh, rocket launch just like a few weeks ago. Um, Yes, we share the same mom and dad, but she looks way more Mexican than I do. And so she was in Florida, and she's a doctor. I mean, she has her doctorate. She's very smart, very well presented. Um, works for NASA, has all the credentials, and she's standing with one of her coworkers, who is a, a white gentleman, older white gentleman, and one of the they were in the in the hotel lobby waiting to leave, and one of the gentlemen that was coming out of the hot tub went to hand her his towel, and was like, "You might want to refill those towels." And my my sister was like, "I I don't work here." He thought she was. Um, part of housekeeping. Like she mm-hmm. has NASA bags hanging from her neck. Like, you know, I mean, does some of the coolest stuff that you can ever imagine has gone to school practically her entire life and looks very Mexican, black curly hair. I mean, if you've ever seen a picture of my dad, she looks just like me, but a lot more Mexican. And I mean, it, it just, it, it just blows my mind that stuff like that still happens. And this man totally blew it off. Like my sister is very quick and, and very witty. And she definitely said something snarky to him. Like, you know, you know, not, 
not not my towel, you know, mm-hmm. and he just blew it off like, well, well, whatever, you know, it's like stuff like that, I think is, is really the bigger problem that people don't understand how ignorant they actually are to things. Yeah. And the, and the bias is just like a death by a thousand cuts, because if you talk about a lifetime of, you know, people make fun of the idea, like white people. Oh, is that a microaggression? I feel like people make fun of that concept. And no, it, it you, you might not be a big deal in the moment, but you do that every single day and you, you, you poke and you poke and you poke and you poke. Well, that's how, you know, that's how everything's made by little incremental uh, injustices. And I, I think that, you know, that makes you eventually who you are after a, a bunch in a row and makes you not trust people. So like when a person of color doesn't trust me as a white person in this of European descent, you know, I, I actually understand that. I'm like, okay, I understand that people like me have treated you terribly over the course of of hundreds of years, it, regardless of whether I was there or not, people that looked like me did that to you. And uh, so why I don't understand why um, the, why you're even talking to me, but which is, I think, part, partly why, you know, I'm so interested in in hearing from everybody. And just because I hope there's some healing that comes from it, like, for example, like Levante, who couldn't make it tonight, he talked about how he wants the police to know his uh, his little leaguers, his players, it, that it's very important to him, you know, whereas, you know, Doug doesn't, you know, obviously doesn't want any run-ins with the police. And when he has one, he wants to be prepared. He knows he's got to stay calm. A lot of uh, the, you know, had the talk with all his children. Uh, well, Levante, he wants the, the cops to be able to know his kids so that, those situations can be de-escalated before they even start. So I just want to play this real quick about Levante's work with the police here in Chicago. Yeah. So that was, you know, that's really critical with what we do. Some of our coaches have been local law enforcement. Um, So we've seen very tangible results and impact from doing that over the years. So probably the biggest one is that there becomes recognition between the young people and law enforcement in the community. So, for example, we had a kid pulled over a couple of years ago, not pulled over, kid stopped a couple of years ago. And so initially the engagement was a bit aggressive, but once they saw all this baseball gear, and they're like, where, where you play ball, kid? And so he's like, yeah, I, I played for this organization, Lost Boys, we're part of Rosemore Little League. And so immediately it softened how they were dealing with him. They said, oh, yeah, we know Lost Boys. Uh, Craig Thompson, our, our officer from the 4th District, he coaches over there. His son plays over there, uh, Levante and, and, you know, Frank. And so it kind of it went from, you know, kind of an aggressive adversarial stop to one where they were laughing, joking, and they even offered the kid a ride home at the end of the day. And so that kid's name was Brian. And he was another kid after that experience that said, you know what, coach, I'm really thinking I might want to be a cop. And so, you know, that was the goal was to kind of begin to change the perception uh, in the community of the police and to get the police to look at the kids and start changing their perception of them as well. Right. Because we know there, there's all kind of evidence that speaks to it. But typically, um, you know, a lot of people that are not black, when they see young, specifically young black men, 
they're oftentimes looked at as older than what they are. And the response towards them, the treatment is much harsher. You know, you'll treat a 13 year old like a 20 year old when a 13 year old really just needs to be treated like a 13 year old. And I think that's kind of what you were saying, Andy and, and Sarah. And, <laughs> Sorry. And that's funny. It's, it's, I don't think you were expecting the, the video. No, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think that's exactly what you were saying is that there's certain assumptions. And that's what we're talking about tonight. I think in general, if I'm taking anything away from this, and I, is that, you know, there were assumptions made uh, by, about, by the uh, scouts about players of color that ended may ended up making them devalued. There are assumptions that are made but about Doug Glanville as he uh, in his suburban home shovels his own driveway. There are assumptions made by the police in Chicago about one of Levante's players, but you know, thank God he had some baseball gear in his backyard in in the back of his uh of his, his car and it saved him in that moment. So it's just like we have to check our biases at every single moment in order to not make these fundamental mistakes about who, who each other are. Right. So um, I, I, can I play uh, one, th- one more thing about uh, Doug and policing? Cause I know we're, we're running late. I said an hour, I say we go an hour. We're at exactly an hour right now, but I'm really enjoying this conversation, Dude. but I also know that people need sleep. Yeah. Let's, let's like let, my let's eyes closing. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. you, you got, finish it up. Do, you, do your do your other video. We got well, we can do ten more minutes or fifteen more minutes. I'm, well, I'm I, vouching for Andy. Well, how about this? I want to move on to this because uh, Jackie Robinson Day is tomorrow, and yes. it's it's usually uh, in April, I believe. Sometime like right at the beginning of the season. Uh, this time it's going to be now because it's a weird year, and, and they're doing the 27th and 28th, so they're doing. Uh, they're they're trying to give it a little bit more uh, exposure this year as opposed to other years. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, they're they're getting it. They're getting a lot more exposure. They're getting exposure they don't necessarily even want right now. So, but here's Doug talking about Jackie Robinson and also some of the team states. And and think about Jackie Robinson, right? 1947 breaks in, retires ten years later. We we celebrate him in baseball to a degree, the numbers, but we're also missing like the second half of this man's life. I mean, he was marching on the streets. He opened a bank. He was the first columnist. He, I mean, this guy, you know, chock full of nuts executive. He was debating Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Gerald Ford, Richard Nixon. He was writing letters to everybody under the sun in protest and uh, all for equality. I mean, that's, that's Jackie Robinson too. He criticized, you know, talked about the flag and talk about like my, his second class citizenship. So we're okay. Let's just, why don't we embody that guy too? Like he's, you know, that would actually do quite a bit. Uh, not just the Joe Robinson, the first three years of his career who couldn't really speak out. Right. So, you know, and I think some, and some of that speaks to how sometimes, and it's harder now with social media is we're picking out the convenient parts of a, a person's life. And, and I, and in some ways we should, the, the other side of that is we should try to be forgiving, right? I mean, there's, you know, whether you cancel someone or all these things, I look, I understand certain extreme things probably need to be canceled, but I think you also miss the lessons. If you cancel the lessons, you take a very 
glass house approach. Like, well, no, I'm not that. I'm, you know, and that's what makes, unfortunately, some of these responses too easy. It's like, oh yeah, we're, we're going to issue our bullet point template statement. Like we, this is not who we are. We stand against racism. Okay. That's cool. And I think that helps, but then you better have some idea what's next. Uh, I just posted in the chat uh, right now uh, the playlist that we have for all of the conversations for John Baker Day. Uh, there's the Bob Kendrick uh, interview. There's us breaking down the Bob Kendrick interview like we did tonight with about uh, uh, the Doug Glanville interview. And then there's the full Doug Glanville interview that you should watch. It's about an hour and a half long. There's a lot of stories. There's a lot we talked about in there that we could barely even scratch the surface of. There's more concepts that were broached. Uh, we go into depth about different things. I think that when I'm doing these talks, it seems to me that uh, I didn't really know what they would be when we started them and that as we are having them, I'm realizing that we have to keep doing more of them and kind of never stop that every single little kind of new bit of information that I'm getting and every new perspective that people are willing to share in an open environment and Andy and Sarah and Michael, I thank you all for being on here and being willing to have this conversation about uh, really difficult subjects and really difficult times that we're all going through right now. Uh, you know, every single little thing, it opens up a whole new possibility and a whole new world of, I think, ways that we can be uh, to move the ball forward and to be able to find ourselves in a better position, even if it's just like 1% better or 2% better a month from now and then 3% better. Like it can, you know, just as you can kill somebody by a thousand cuts, we can also build things with a thousand kindnesses, right? I mean, I, but we have to address the issues that we've been going through. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I was about to end it here. I, I do would like some last kind of thoughts from you guys about where you're at right now tonight what you look for with Jackie Robinson weekend what you're hoping is the case uh how things go down this weekend uh start with uh, you Sarah or start with you Andy you I was gonna say I'll start because I'll, I'll be quick um I'm hopeful that they definitely do something different um we need a, a lot more of everything um you know, Sarah and I talked about this a little bit earlier and, you know, it's not just slapping a 42 on everything and calling it a day. It's got to be a, a process of education. It's got to be a process of knowing um, the story of knowing the background, knowing where he came from, what he went through and, and how he came into the league and what he did for so many. And, you know, I, I feel like it's a very generic topic with people. Like they know who Jackie Robinson is. They know the very outline of who he is, but they don't know the history of what he went through who he was and how he came up. And I think that's important. It's important to understand on so many different levels because I think what what we're running to running into as a society is that everybody is so comfortable with their biases that they have. They're so comfortable. It's easy to do that. It's hard to learn. It's hard to dig deep. It's hard to know the facts. It's hard to understand something that's different than what you are. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to is, you know, it's such, such a different outlook 
for, you know, somebody that has no knowledge of the Negro Leagues, of somebody that has no knowledge of, you know, what happened to those gentlemen when they came into Major League Baseball. And I'm speaking just baseball, obviously not the bigger picture here. But um, I think it's so it's so much better, like speaking from a personal sense to go back and learn those things and know and really truly have an understanding because you bring so much more to the table and I can sit in a conversation with you guys and have an intellectual conversation about what I've learned and you guys can also teach me things and I learn from talking to Levante on a daily basis I learn from listening to Bob Kendrick on all the different things that you guys talked about I mean it's it's a constant process and it's got to continue to be a process and people have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and learning and understanding what they don't know. And that's that's really what it comes down to and, and really accepting and learning and, and taking the time to know things that you don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with it. Hell yeah, girl, let's go. <laughs> you I running through it. a brick wall yet? <laughs> yeah. Where are we going? I'll follow you anywhere. <laughs> Sarah? Um, I, I really want to like, I really want to run this like a fit, like 15 different ways, but I, I'm going to, um, I'm going to go with one that was re- referenced by an absolutely legendary baseball writer and black woman, Claire Smith yesterday on Twitter. So yesterday on Twitter, as all of these moments were happening, as teams were saying, we're not going to play as players were saying, we're not going to play. And some of them were having their teams follow them. And some of them were not. Um, Claire Smith, who is a Spink Award winner, she was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 2017. She's a pioneer uh, black woman writer, one of the first women who was allowed in clubhouses. You should look her up. She's awesome. Um, called this Baseball's Pee Wee Reese moment. And what she's describing is a moment where Pee Wee Reese decided to embrace Jackie Robinson as he was being jeered and heckled and basically had his life made hell. Um, and nobody actually knows if this moment is true or if it's apocryphal. Like, it's one of those things that has been sort of blown up in the lore over the years. It's like, how much of an embrace was it? Like, what was it really in response to? Whatever. There's a there's a mythos around it that baseball wants to embrace, where its players do the right thing, and they stand with their friends, and they stand with the people who they are supposed to stand with, and they, and they do it in a way that is big and is bold and is exactly the right thing that you're supposed to do. Um, and there's a statue commemorating this. I don't know what Pee Wee Reese actually did. Uh, I've read about it a few times. I think that it's probably one of those moments that happened, but over the years, the story around it has shifted a little bit. It, do- it doesn't really matter for this moment in time. Um, you know, a lot of teams had their moment to make a choice on Wednesday, but that, that moment is ongoing. We're in it right now. Like what happens today matters and what happens tomorrow matters. What happens Saturday matters and what happens Sunday matters. I want MLB to do what the Players Alliance did. The Players Alliance said they're going to take their salary and donate it to causes to rebuild parts of this country that have been absolutely devastated this summer. I want MLB to match that. I want MLB to come up with something that is better than splashing the number 42 on everything. I don't want symbolism. I don't want signs. I don't want slogans. I don't want patches. I want an actual show of support for the players and people who are doing awesome things right now. And this league needs 
to have a moment and stand behind them if they want to celebrate Jackie yeah. Robinson. Yeah, I'm with it. And, and you know, where where that money comes from, I have no idea because Ricketts has been out of it since last year. <laughs> so, so, no, but I, I absolutely, I mean, lip service is just not what this is about. This moment is not about, I agree with you 100%, slapping a 42 on it, playing a couple old videos of, oh, oh he endured so much. It's like, no, why don't we condemn the people that did that shit to him? You know what I mean? Like, where is that going on? Like, I, I want to see, like, Cap Anson, for, for example. I want his brick removed from Wrigley Fields. Like, this guy's not a hero. Screw that guy. He's the Confederate monument of Wrigley Fields. You know what I mean? Like, for you know, and, and I, I do want to see having a little bit more of a tearing down of the past and, like, getting real in this moment. And, you know, unfortunately, all billionaires usually have to offer is lip service and money. And bear, and they didn't, and not much money. Michael, uh, can you, uh, well, how are you feeling right now about Jackie Robinson weekend? I actually, I, I just want to say, uh, we were unfortunately we were not able to have Levante on the show today because uh, Levante works with Lost Boys Inc. Um, they are a mentoring program that uses baseball and softball as a way into these kids' lives. Um. So tonight he had to go deal with that. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know what to do. Yeah, <laughs> you're abs- you're absolutely right. He's he has uh, he definitely wanted to be here. He can't be a million places at once. Right. Uh, you know, I've talked to people at um, Frank. It, Lost Boys, uh, the reason we're a little bit delayed in this whole thing, and I should mention this, the, the reason we're, uh, we, we plan to have these conversations a couple weeks ago, but Lost Boys lost their office manager. His name was right. Frank Sarton, and he worked very closely with Levante, and um, he died and right in the middle of this whole process. And I, I went down to his like funeral after uh, luncheon situation and uh, met a lot of great people who worked for the Lost Boys. And I could tell right, at this point, Levante is absolutely in over his head. He's got to find a new office manager. Things are a little bit di- in disarray. And this is in the time of COVID where he's got to, like, find masks for his players in order to be able to have yeah. practice. They definitely so, deserve our support. They and deserve our support. you can see below here running where to go so that you can support them as well. Exactly. And that's why we're doing this. We're giving our voices – to uh, to raise up people like Levante and also find find the Levante in your town if you're not from Chicago because I guarantee they exist. Make some relationships, make some connections, and uh, donate now at Lost Boys Inc. Um, I've got two final words. Sarah's they- got something there. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, Sarah. <laughs> Just give me two seconds. If you want to slap a 42 on something, donate $42 to Lost Boys tomorrow in the name of Jackie Robinson. That yeah, will make a difference for some kids in the city of Chicago. So slap yeah. a 42 on your donation. Yeah. Yeah, $42 million, 422 <laughs> Yeah, How about something like that? That could, that could actually get something done. Uh, you could at least buy a couple of vans. So um, I've got uh, two words that I'd like to share with you. One is from John Baker, who is also allowing us his platform of having even John Baker Day exist to uh, have these conversations 
He has obviously been a part of these conversations. You haven't heard from him tonight because that's kind of the idea. But uh, I do have something from John, and then I have something uh, from Doug. And we're and then uh, we're going to end the show there. So uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Please stay for these last two comments. And uh, I don't know. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Crawley. Thank you, Levante. Thank you, John Baker. And thank you, Doug Glanville, for being a part of all this. There's going to be one more uh, section that we're going to do of this uh, entire series uh, of John Baker Day Talks. And we're going to be talking to Will Venable who is the third base coach for the Cubs. And the Cubs are actually having these difficult conversations too. Um, so we're all doing this together. So thank you for being here. And uh, good night. Listen to these last two, uh, two words from people. It's so easy for us to virtue signal and say, like, I stand against domestic violence. But it's really hard for us to say, not only do I stand against it, but as Doug was just saying, I'm going to choose to be active by facing it head on and figuring out how I can make a difference and I can contribute so that it doesn't happen to another woman somewhere else. I feel like it's our responsibility to take the same perspective in, 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 in this one as well, which is the only way we're going to get to uh, the equity that we seek uh, is through this discomfort, is through facing things head on, and is to continue and continuing to foster these conversations and promote the voices of people like Levante and, and, and Doug, well, the organization Levante and then Doug, your voice so that more people can, more people have access to hearing what I would consider is the truth. And, and, and also um, the, the right kind of learning platform. Like not everybody has to go and, and read Ibram X Kendi's how to be anti-racist book. Um, if you, if you, if you appreciate baseball, you can go to lostboysinc.org. You can find Doug's articles on the Atlantic uh, and you can listen to this conversation and hopefully it, it helps push the ball more progressively forward in your mind uh, because that's what we're looking for. You know, what, one, uh, as we say, when guys are having a tough day at the plate, what you want to think about as a hitter is can on this pitch, I get us closer to scoring a run. Uh, and, and I, and I kind of urge that same, same mentality here. How can you, how can we make the boat go faster? How can we have a 0.001% aggregate gain? Because if we're moving forward, we're not moving backward. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. 
I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows.